33. Repeat the top with me, please. Say trapped. trapped. Come on, say it loud. Say trapped, trapped. In, the wrong place. in the wrong place. Have you ever stayed someplace too long? Have you ever in your life stayed someplace on a job or in a career path and you said to yourself, man, I should have been left here long, long, long. One more time, long. One more time, long. I'm used to preaching by myself, so I'm going to say long time ago. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been, you know it. But you're scared to make a change. For all kinds of reasons, you have you've come to a place that you justify not moving. You're, you're planted there. You're stuck. And you just can't, you can't convince yourself. It doesn't make economic sense. It doesn't make emotional sense. You tell your friends about it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But you're trapped. I think you're trapped in a, in a schedule. You're busy. You're overwhelmingly busy. Most people, when they see me, they, they, they make an incredible assumption that's not true. We know you're busy. That's how they say it to me all the time. I just smile. Because I understand that I have a lot to do, but I'm a big delegator. I really am. I'm, I'm fantastic at that. My staff will tell you, I give away all the work <laughs> that I can. Because I understand the power of rest, balance, time off. Diane says something every, Thanksgiving, every um, Valentine's Day. This is really fascinating. She says, I never have to worry about having a day with you because I have lots of days with you. I'm not craving time with you. I am not time starved. As a matter of fact, you can go a little bit more. She kind of told me that the other day. You're fine. We, we, we have enough time. And, and, and it wasn't because she was trying to say anything bad. She was just saying, you're doing a good job. There, there comes a place. It, it should be that way. I had a paper to write in my um, doctoral program. It was a paper I was writing. And I remember uh, the paper was uh, uh, one of those uh, analyze yourself and, and, and um, and talk about what needs to be improved in your life or something like that. And I remember going through it, and, and as I was listening, I had a hard time finding some of the things that they were asking me about, right? And I thought, well, I don't have that problem because I, I take enough sleep, and I don't have this problem because I do try to exercise. And I went through this, and, and I remember the professor, now he gave me an A, but he, he, made, he gave me a little problem. He, he didn't, you know how you get a high A? I want, I want 100. So he gave me like a 95. So because of me, I asked him, where are my how many points? Five points. I did. I went to him and asked him about those five points. And he said something. He said, I wasn't critical enough of myself. And I thought, well, what you want me to do? Weeping well on the paper? You want me to cry and say, I'm, I'm past some of those things. I'm going to tell you now, you, it's good to be past some things. I may have other issues growing, but that's gone. Can you say that with me? Come on, say that that's gone. Come on, point. Come on, say that's gone. There comes a moment when you can say that kind of cussing is gone from me. I may get mad, but I won't say all them alphabets anymore. That's gone. I, and there, so there's a moment in your life when you just get to a place where you realize I'm not here anymore. I'm moving on I'm, because this is a bad place to stay. Well, in Israel's history, they had a problem with staying in the wrong place. And I wrote this series two ways, and I threw out the first way. Um, matter of fact, next month when I teach, I'm going to use the verse I was going to use for the entire series for this month. But I switched it because I want to take you to one story. 
And I wanted to teach you this concept in a, in a storyline so you can remember it. So there are four sermons we're going to cover. Today we're going to talk about trapped in the wrong place. Next week we're going to talk, next week we're going to talk about trapped in fear. Come on, say trapped in fear. Come on. And then the third week we're going to talk about trapped in a relationship. Say it with me, please. Come on. Trapped in a relationship. And in the fourth week we're going to call it trapped in the wilderness. Trapped in the wilderness. So trapped in the wrong place, trapped in fear, trapped in relationships, and, and trapped in the wilderness. So today, the question is, have you ever stayed someplace too long? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, verse 33, says these words. And this is our theme for the year, our theme verse for the year. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths your oath, rather, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. In other words, when you promise God something, do it. This year's question for the year is why people don't do what they say they're going to do. Why, why is it? And I wanted to look at that in the context of Israel because I believe the reason they didn't do what they were supposed to do because they got trapped in the wrong place. They were not supposed to be in Egypt that long. If you remember the story, it starts in Genesis chapter 41. Let me give you a little background if you're not very familiar with the story. And I used to remember, I'm shocked now, people really aren't familiar with a lot of the Bible stories because they're not going to Sunday school. You remember Sunday school, right? The thing you used to go to and you had to learn, read the Sunday school. Anybody remember a Sunday school book back in the day, right? You had to read it all the time and you learn all the little stories. Well, here's the story. Israel is a nation, okay, that, that God promised that they would end up in, uh, well, let me back a little further. Uh, they were um, a people that had gotten trapped in a bad circumstance. Let me start there. There was famine in the land of Canaan where they were. And God said to them, no, I'm sorry, they were, yeah, they were trapped and, and there, was, there was a famine. And God sent Joseph to Egypt through a series of very difficult circumstances, without telling you all the whole story. And he ends up becoming the leader of Egypt, the second in charge. Well, the famine came into his homeland. And he wasn't there, but he was now a leader in Egypt. And his brothers, who had done him wrong, that's why he ended up in Egypt, they sold him into slavery. They came, and when they... When they, when they came to buy food because of the famine, Joseph was there, and Joseph basically was the reason why his family didn't starve. He forgave them for the wrong. I'm skipping over a lot, you know. He forgave them for the wrong they did, invited 70 of them to Egypt, and they were supposed to only stay during the years of famine. There were seven years of famine and seven years of prosperity. So Joseph delivered his family. They came to Egypt and got comfortable and never left. They stayed. Let me read you the Bible story briefly. This is Genesis 41, verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what is about to do. This is the prophecy that Joseph interpreted that showed him there's going to be seven years of famine, seven years of plenty. Verse 29, seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. 
then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. That's the famine that Joseph's family got caught up in. Verse 31, the abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. So there's this incredible moment where Joseph interprets a dream that Pharaoh has. Pharaoh is so impressed, he promotes Joseph to be second in command, which sets him up to deliver his family when the famine comes. If you're with me, folks, off before I say amen. amen. Okay, so he delivers his family. They come over, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. His family comes about two and a half to three years into the famine. I love this family because they were not broke. They could survive. That's a whole nother sermon. I'll talk about this next month. They could survive for, for two and a half years on what they had in the bank. Think about that. They could survive. They weren't living tight. They, they, and then when they did come to buy food, hear what I just said. They brought money to buy food. Not only did they have two and a half years in reserve. Two and a half years they could survive with nobody giving them anything. They came with money to buy. Amazing. Then think about this. When they get there, Joseph, who was the younger brother, ends up being second in charge. For he forgives them for selling him into slavery. God had worked it all out. He brings them all over. But here's what Joseph said before he died. This is now Genesis 50. Look at verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God is going to come and take you where? Out of where? This land. You're not going to stay here in Egypt. Verse 50, 25 of chapter 50 of Genesis. Joseph made the Israelites swear. He made them do what? Swear an oath and said, God will surely come to you, your aid. And then you must carry me, carry my bones. Carry my bones up from where? This place. You're not to stay here. And you're going to need God's aid to get out of here. He knew that. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew these folks. Sometimes you need to leave. Sometimes you stay too long. Now, some of you done ran all the way, all over. I'm leaving my husband after church. I'm leaving my man after church. I'm packing my bag. <laughs> if you're in danger, you might need to pray about that. But I'm just saying, if you're in danger, I understand your thoughts. But I'm not trying to give you a ticket out of where you are. I'm not trying to tell you to quit your job Monday. I'm trying to make a point. There comes a moment when you know this is not safe. And so what happens? They get trapped in four Really, three traps, almost four, three. Watch this. First of all, they were trapped in a good season. Say that with me, please. Come on. They were trapped in a good season. Say it again. Come on. They were what? Trapped in a good season. Chapter, Exodus chapter 1, verse, verse 3 says this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt 
with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, people you never name again. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. 70 people came with him, 70 people. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation died. Joseph died. Joseph did what? Died. But the Israelites were exceedingly what? Fruitful. Man, we got good jobs. We ain't going back living in no tents. Where we supposed to go? Let me understand this. I got a job at Gulfstream. And you want me to do go back? <laughs> I got a job. Well, wait, 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 wait. Well, I'm glad Joseph delivered us. I'm so glad, Joseph. I'm glad. I heard that story about 70 people coming over here. But now you trying to tell me I'm supposed to go back and live in a tent? No, bro. I got 401k. Retirement plan. I got everything. I ain't going nowhere. And then they start having children. Or they, his, he, you can hear it, the conversation. Uh, you know, guys, it's time for us to leave because you're not supposed to stay here but seven, five years. Do they have any good schools over there? <laughs> if they ain't got good schools, you will go with how to start our own schools? Do they have running water? They got any, got any wells? And how about the job market? I got a job here in Egypt. Why should I leave? Think about it. Here's the question. Would you have been one of the people who left? Or would you have been saying, oh, I ain't leaving. This is a good, this is a good situation. Let me tell you something. Sometimes it's good. Hit it to bad. Sometimes it's hard for you to see this is good, but it's headed to a bad place. Watch the second part of this. This is amazing. They were also trapped in an insecure environment. Now, what's interesting is things change. Say that with me, please. Come on. Things what? Change. And people change. And sometimes you have to admit, hey, you know, this has changed. And they stayed 430 years. Time goes fast. Because you understand, once you don't leave, it's hard to convince your children, your grandchildren, your great, 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 great. You see what I'm saying? It's hard to convince them to leave because they never went, they, they never lived in, quote, the promised land. And then the promised land don't look like a promised land to them because it's tents, no jobs. You got to start from scratch. So why, why, West? It's what, where? We're not going back there. So nobody was willing to go. So watch what happens. A new king, verse 8. Of chapter, of chapter 1 of, of Exodus, to whom Joseph uh, meant nothing, <laughs> came to power in Egypt. Look, said, look, he said to his people, now this is a guy who doesn't know Joseph. That's how the King James says it. There arose a king who did not know Joseph. Let me say this to you. People will forget the good you do. One day, somebody will say, Ricky Wimple, Pimple, Chimple, what was his name? If I ask you who the founder of this church was, it wasn't me. Her name was Ernestine Dilworth. She sold her house and gave the revenues to the church to help this church get founded. She allowed this church to be in her house for several years. She fed the college kids out of her refrigerator. 3111 College Street. That's what she did. She sold, gave away stuff, sacrificed, took no salary for years. That's who 
Most people don't even remember. When they say overcoming by faith, they don't think about her. They think about me. Oh, Ricky Temple, Ricky Temple, Ricky Temple. But one day they won't remember me. Ricky Wimple, Wimple, I know he's a wimp something. And, it, and it's amazing that people forget you. Some of you got kids and they already forgot you. You're still living. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right about that. Them, don't even bother call me, them people. I'm, sorry, I'm not trying to put them down, I'm saying, but it's true. So he says, watch this now, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt, verse 9. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if, we, if, if war breaks out, they will join with our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. Now, this guy's just insecure. Now, they never told him that. that there was no signs of that. They were happy. They would never have been unfaithful to them. But I'm going to tell you something now. Watch this. They were trapped by, with insecure people. You can get trapped in an insecure environment that will abuse you. And some of you have to be admit, I am surrounded by insecure people. This, this whole environment is insecure. It's not safe. And so they begin to plot against them, and then they end up, watch this now, trapped in slavery. So they put slave, they put, they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And then they made them build them cities. They made them do all kind of hard labor. And then, they, then they, it got worse. They, they tried to exterminate them. They, they tried to get the, the women who helped them have babies. And they, the, the traps were so profound, they, they were trying to stop them from being fruitful. No more babies. The Bible says in verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, uh, whose name were Shepara and Pua, when you helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that's a baby boy, kill him. But they refused. I want you to think about this. This is an incredible moment. They are trapped. And now they've got to fight. The midwives don't agree. The midwives said no. The midwives wouldn't do it. And then later on in the Bible tells that God prospered the midwives to have babies themselves because they refused the trap. Now, here's what I want you to see. All this happened because they stayed too long. All this happened because they wouldn't move. They wouldn't change. They wouldn't be open to something new. They were stuck in one place. Are you stuck in one place? One line of thinking, one career path, one goal, one life passion. You, you're not open to anything else. I'm tempted to be that way. I'm tempted to say, well, God, this is how we've done church for forever, so I need to do it this way forever. I'm tempted. I am tempted. I am tempted. I am tempted. And I want to say as I close here, there are five ways this whole sermon applies to us as a church. Because to me, that's what really makes sense. What, well, what, what matter, what, how did, why does it matter? How does that apply to me or to us as a church? We must never be impressed with our prosperity, so much so that we can't change our approach. You can never be so impressed with your prosperity that you can't change your approach. You can't look at your paycheck and say, this is the only way I can make money. This is the only way I can do this. You can't look at the way you're living. You can't look at your life and refuse to change. They would not leave. Now think about that. They were in slavery, not because of God, but because they would not change.
The decline in church attendance has been happening for years. It has been happening for years. In 2019, the Southern Baptists had one of the lowest growth rates ever. Almost all denominations are shrinking. Almost all, matter of fact, all of the major ones are. Post-COVID. Post-COVID. And they still won't change. Most churches tell you, we ain't got no young people. We're trying to get to the youth. Yeah, how? What's your strategy? What's your commitment? Show me the money. Where are your investments? I mean, I'm telling you, it's amazing how we get stuck in one approach and we think that's all we can do. We must broaden our arms. Can you stretch your arms out a little bit? Don't hit anybody. Stretch out. Stretch. You got to broaden your reach. You've got to change the way you do things. You've got to broaden the way you think. Some of you, you stretching. Now, some of y'all must have been tired. I see y'all stretching. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, some of you just went right on into, oh, thanks, Pastor Rick. <laughs> but there's a, there's a moment you have to say, we, can't, we must change our approach. And some people have to see the lesson here. They're stuck in the wrong place because they would not change their approach. Number two, we must not allow our insecurities to blind us and convince us to be extreme. Extreme. Sometimes we're extreme. I know you love Jesus, but you sound extreme. I think we become extreme politically, emotionally, extreme. You're going too far. Pull it in a little bit. Thirdly, I believe this applies to us because we must, it forces us to admit when we are trapped and enslaved. You have to admit it. You have to say, I, you know what? He's right. I, I am trapped. I am, in, I am in, and I'm going to talk about this next month. I'm trapped in some financial stuff I should not be in. I am trapped. I got to go to work every day. Every, if, I miss a, if I miss an hour, I'm in trouble. I can't even take a break. You're in business, but the business is running you. You're not running the business. It's dragging you along. You are trapped and you won't admit it. This story helps us see how people can get trapped and enslaved. Then number four, we see to get free from it, you must resist the trap. you got to fight back. Now, I want to tell you something. You can complain and feel sorry for yourself and cry tears, and wail. I tell the story how I got on my knees one time. I was praying, and I was crying before the Lord. And this thought came to me. Do you think I'm enjoying this? Do you think this, this kind of prayer, and you call it supplication, and you're wailing before God, oh, God, I have my life. You know, and I said, well, you know, okay. Because here's the deal. Here's my, this is my view, my view by fighting. This is my view by fighting. You ready? Here's my fighting view. If we're going to fight, and I know we're going to fight, I got a decision to make. I ain't wail, I fight. Guess what I'm going to choose? I'm going to fight. Be peaceful, I understand all that. I'm sorry if it bothered you what I just said, but that's how Ricky Temple thinks. Because if I don't fight, I'm going to get just kicked on and be, I just, I'd rather be on my feet. I believe in standing up for myself. If I'm, gonna, if I'm in a fight financially, I want to be in the fight. If I'm in a fight emotionally, I want to get up and say something to the negative emotions. I don't want to just lay there and wallow in my sadness. Can you give me an amen? Come on, Amen. I won't say the person's name. The person called me. <laughs> and they, they were telling me they wanted a particular job. 
And they had me laughing the other day. They said, you know what you told me when I called you? I was feeling really sorry for myself. I was really just feeling trapped and this bad. And, and you know what you told me? I said, what did I tell you? You told me to put on my big britches. You told me that I prayed for this, that I asked God, and so I need to get on and take care of it. And I had to laugh and went on and took care of it. There comes a moment you have to say, look, the midwives did that. We're not doing that. They said, no, we're not killing those babies. No, we're not falling into that trap. And because they didn't, God made them fruitful. Then lastly, this story says we must believe there is a reward for avoiding the trap. There is a reward. Let me tell you something. If you could just for a minute pause and say, OK, I get it. God, this is a moment in my life. I've heard the pastor first sermon of the year and I realize I'm in the wrong place. What must I do? Face it. Decide to be free. And then lastly, stand up on your feet with me. Stand up. Everybody up on your feet. See, you've been in church an hour and four minutes. Some of you used to an hour and or two hours and three hours. I said what I've got to say. You at home, you've heard me. You here have heard me. So here's what you've got to do. Start the year off by saying, I'm getting out of this trap. I'm getting out of this trap. I named some traps, but I didn't name yours, maybe. I don't know what's got you tied up in your head. I know what tries to tie me up. All kind of stuff. I fight traps every day. Call them dragons. Flying in my life. Try to make me insecure. Doubt myself. Question myself. Preach a message. Did you do a good job? Did the best I could. If you don't like it, I got hundreds of sermons on tape. Praise God. Come on, say amen. amen. Come on, amen. I mean that. I tell myself, stop judging yourself, tell me. Look at the traps and issues in your life. And I did that last year. I'm so proud of myself. I decided last year to deal with some things. And I put, I put a lot of things in place. It's beautiful. Financially, emotionally, physically. Start working on things, making sure. What are the traps in your life? One of them could be fear. Israel's biggest mistake was they got trapped in a fear. Next week, I'm going to talk about that. And I want to show you how that trap unfolded. There are moments, there's a series I'm going to do this year. It's called One Chance. There are moments in life when it comes to certain things, you get one chance. One chance. When you, some of you know this because you were married to a person and you guys had, you, it, it didn't work. And you remember now, you can't go back to that. That's over. That was that one chance. In that relationship. May have another one, but that one's gone. That job's gone. You may get another one, but not with that job. Israel had one chance. They had one chance to cross to the promised land. One chance. And what was amazing, they made some decisions that changed everything. I love the rest of the series. I love the part where we're going to talk about what's it like for somebody else to mess up your life. Joshua and Caleb didn't do anything. And they went over and spied out the land with 40 people, 38 other people. And those 38 people messed up everything for them. So now they're trapped for 40 years 
in a situation they didn't create. Some of you say, oh, I know about that. But then what's amazing is I'm also going to talk to you about how they made the best of it. How God prospered them anyway. How God took the circumstance and worked it out. All things can work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Even when your, your peers don't do right, put you in a bad spot, God can make you prosperous. Hallelujah. Oh yeah, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. Father, we thank you for the word today. We thank you for our time together. This has been a good, good hour. I pray the Holy Spirit would take what we've said. Bless those who are here and those who are home. Let this be a transforming moment for them. A moment where they say, God, I realize that in this year, I want you to free me. I want freedom in my life. I'm in the wrong place. Been here too long. I've been angry too long. Frustrated too long. Fearful too long. And so it's time for me to pack up and move from here and get to the promised land you have for me. In my emotions, in my mind, in my resources, in my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, every hand down, please. If you're here and you say, Pastor Ricky Temple, I heard you today. I've been trapped thinking I, couldn't, I can't serve God. Maybe you're home, you're thinking these thoughts. And you want me to pray for you right in your seat. I'm not going to call you to the altar. I'm going to pray for you right in your seat. I want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. I see you. I see two. I see anybody else. Pray for me, Pastor. My walk with God. I need you to pray for me. Anybody else saying pray for me. I see you. You're at home watching this. You can put your hands down if you're in the building. If you're home watching, I want you to join me in prayer. We're going to pray a prayer now. And you can write this in the chat. Say, I'll raise my hand if you want to. And the staff that's watching will help you. They'll send something to you to help you start your walk with God. Let's pray this prayer with me. Lord, I pray for them today that as they come to you, admitting they're trapped spiritually, they need you in their life, that this would be that breakthrough moment where they would say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. And I give you all the praise and all the glory for your sacrifice on the cross made this possible. I come as I am. Believing you can free me because of your grace from, from this trap, from this, this, this place I've been out of sync with you. May this be the beginning of a new walk in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.